Welcome back to the Muzzle Blast Podcast, the official podcast of the National Muzzleloading Rifle Association. This week we're talking with Nate Bailey of barebowhunters.com. Nate has been involved with traditional archery for a long time now and has just recently built his first traditions muzzleloader kit and he's gotten bit by the bug. So it was neat to talk to him and get a perspective of a new muzzleloader, somebody who's new to the sport, interested in it, and ready to get out and do it. It's a real laid back episode, just some light conversation, uh, but Nate's a great guy and I had a lot of fun being on his show. So if you haven't already and you're interested in traditional archery, check out barebowhunters.com. Nate runs a great podcast. They're 30 minute episodes. So nice and bite sized episodes to keep you busy while you're doing dishes or driving to work. I'd like to thank Nate for having me on his show and for promoting ethics and hunting and good sportsmanship all around. I look forward to seeing you getting a bear, Nate, with that muzzleloader. Hello, welcome to another edition of the Barebow Hunters Podcast. And today is kind of a special day because you guys, some of you guys have probably figured out by now that I have been building a muzzleloader. And I, uh, through this process, I've been trying to do a lot of research and I ran across a podcast called Muzzle Blast. And Ethan, you're the host of Muzzle Blast and also you are, um, I guess you could just go ahead and tell me, Ethan, what, what you do. Hi, I'm Ethan, and I'm the National Muzzleloading Rifle Association Marketing Director. So I'm handling all of our social media and our podcast and all the fun stuff. Cool. So I ran across your guys' stuff. Actually, I ran across it on uh, YouTube. You guys have a YouTube channel. You yeah. have a podcast. Yeah. And and I I was, you know, me being a bow hunter and then jumping into muzzleloading, I uh, really wanted to find somebody that, uh, an organization that kind of um, stood there for what's been going on over a long time. And you guys really do, right? Yeah, we've been around since about 1933 is when we were formally started. So for us, muzzleloading is in our blood. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I, if you go over to your website, uh, to you guys' website, you can really see that. That's That's the cool thing about all this is there was a ton of history that I was pulling up and I was looking at when I went over there. And uh, me being a traditional bow hunter, I have a lot of a lot of history that I, I look at in the traditional bow hunting world. You know, we have organizations like Compton's and PBS and these other organizations. And yeah. so when I yeah yeah I was just blown away that I did not know um, about any of this in the muzzleloading world. I felt like I was behind the eight ball and I've actually, it's kind of rekindled some of this, my pioneering spirit. Well, that's great. That's what we like to hear. We joke a lot that we're kind of the best kept secret in kind of the traditional or outdoorsman sportsman's community. There's a lot of people out there that are interested in muzzleloading because of the simplicity. And we've been around forever, you know, as far as modern kind of camping and outdoorsmanship goes, but not a lot of people know about us. And that, that's where I kind of come in. That's what my position is trying to fix now. <laughs> but it's kind of, yeah. you know yeah, how that goes. you're doing a good job. I mean, the stuff that you guys are putting out is quality, really good stuff. Thank you. Thank you. And that's kind of the reason I wanted to get you on here is to kind of get it out in the, in the traditional outdoorsman's community. Because, I mean, traditional archery and muzzleloaders kind of go together. There's a lot of bushcraft. There's a lot of skill. There's a lot of these things that other than the weapon itself, we're a lot alike. I mean, you know, as far as what we value, um, we value getting close to animals. That's a, a thing that we really value. We, we enjoy that about it. We, we value, 
um, the simplicity of everything. We value the, you know, being able to make it work and those kind of things, you know? Yeah. There's a lot that goes together with that. Even at our, at our headquarters in Friendship, Indiana, we have a 40 shot 3d archery course set up just for traditional long bows. So all of your stick bows or bone bows or horn bows, I mean, excuse me. And, and that kind of thing. So, I mean, it's not as large as our traditional muzzleloading or muzzleloading in general areas there, but it's still part of what we do. And especially for the guys that are real in traditional, into traditional muzzleloading, they're still bringing their bows and setting up camp and they'll spend a day shooting muzzleloaders and then they'll spend a day shooting archery, you know? So it's, it's, there's a very close handshake between archery and muzzleloading. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. And especially the traditional stuff that we do, you know, with the, I, I mean, okay, now I've just scratched the surface here of muzzleloading and, and since I've, you know, contacted you and things like that, you've probably seen that you probably could understand yeah. <laughs> that there's yeah. not a whole lot here. I'm learning quick. It's a steep learning curve, Definitely, but at the same time, the community has been just amazing that the, the muzzleloading community has been um you know so inviting and, and telling me the things i'm doing wrong you know i, I was pouring straight out of a flask and they're like don't no, ever no, no. do that <laughs> yeah you're you know you're gonna end up killing yourself doing that and, and they didn't do it in the way i'm used to sometimes in the past in some of the communities that i've been in um there's guys that aren't very articulate on how they help you. Right. <laughs> okay? right. That's an easy way of saying that. I hope. Um, and, and then in the muzzling community, these guys were like, Hey man, good stuff, but you need to do this. And, uh, this is why. And, and it wasn't belittling or anything like that. And I, I found that so far in the muzzling community, which is kind of a breath of fresh air for me. Absolutely. I think that the community itself is wonderful. Um, there's a lot, I mean, you'll find people like you're talking about that are a little more gruff or don't necessarily have the patience for newcomers, but everybody that's involved with muzzleloading, it's so hands-on and it's so time intensive and mentally intensive that you have to, you have to care about what you're doing. And I think that transfers to when they come across or we come across a newcomer getting interested in it. We, we're hands-on with the thing that we love and then communicating that and the safety especially kind of goes right there with that is it's just a labor of love that we want to share with other people because none of us are getting any younger. And right now, muzzleloading it, for us, especially, it really started kind of in the Great Depression and then had a resurgence in the 1970s. So if you started muzzleloading in the 1970s, you know, you're not a young, you're not a young bird anymore. You're not a spring chicken. And so everybody or not everybody, but a lot of people are looking at it now and saying, hey, we need to do the nice thing and put a hand out for the next generation of muzzleloaders. Right. Right. I, th I think I think your organization is really pushing at that. I, I see it. Um, just in, in the content that you guys are putting out and, and what you guys are saying, um, it's really cool to see that generation, um, reaching out to a younger generation and wanting to pass that stuff on, yeah. you know, I've yeah. seen it in the traditional bow hunting world too. You know, you got people in Compton's that are just absolutely crazy the way that they help other, other, bow, um, uh, you know, guys getting into traditional bow hunting yeah. and, uh, 
Yeah. And, and so those organizations I always like to talk about because uh, that is really what we need, I think. I think it, just sportsmen in general need that, um, more or less muzzleloading or traditional bow hunting. Um, that's something that we really need. Um, and that's one of the other things that you guys do is is the history. So you, you're, I see, I mean, if you just go and check out your post on Instagram, man, there's the, just the history of what you put on there. Just there's, there's actually guns that I've looked at and I'm like, wow, where, what is that? I need to figure out more about this. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. you know, I was spelling like Hawkins, H A W K I N S. <laughs> so that's horrible when i look at it now when i look back because that's a guy's name that came up with the rifle you know yeah, that was one of the first kind of industrial empires of america yeah and so when i started checking out the history of this stuff um i'm like wow you know what um there's a lot of cool stuff here that uh you know really could th this next generation coming up um could really value there's a lot of good stuff that you guys are putting out there and, and history's part of it i mean I, i'm really big into history and traditions i you know my my family came over to oregon before the oregon trail was here oh wow and so oh, wow yeah they probably even used a hawk and rifle when they um lived they, they lived where the oregon trail came to and where it split to the barlow trail and then they resupplied their wagon trains that's how they made their money for years Wow, that's and, awesome! Wow, that's awesome. Yeah, so now I'm even. So when I'm, I, I build a Hawken, and I, I built, you know, a yeah, yeah. The traditions. Yeah, yeah. And uh, so when I hold that, I feel like I'm maybe in kinship with my great great grandfather. Absolutely, um, that's something yeah, that that's. Kinda, it's really neat about muzzleloading because you don't have to go very far back in just about everybody's family history to find somebody who used a muzzleloader to get through the, their, their life. I mean, it was a necessary tool. Um, I don't remember I was watching or, or reading. I've been going through a lot of our old magazine articles from the association. And I, I was reading that traditionally the gun was kind of the car of their day, you know? So if you were more of a nobleman, you had a nicer rifle. And if you were a farmer, you had a daily driver that it wasn't necessarily pretty, but boy, it got the job done. And just a couple skips back and you're connected to that. Yeah. And you could see that in the rifles, right? I mean, oh, yeah. if you go back and look, you could see that in some of the rifles. Um, and you can see that it's kind of like people's pickups nowadays. Yes, exactly. You, you, yeah, exactly. Yeah. You get guys that lift their pickups and they're, you know, they got all the bells and whistles. And then you got guys like me that can't afford to do that. So we just run around and what we got. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And that that's... That's what's really neat to me. For me, my grandfather, my grandfather actually shot at and won the first NMLRA youth match in 1938. And so I grew up knowing him having been there at an early age of this association shooting. But then just taking a couple skips back, you know, it it gets even closer to that. My, my other grandfather had hunted his entire life with a, a civil war musket, just a military issue. <laughs> with the actual civil war musket. Yeah. Yeah. An original, just, just a beater. We've got it in the safe now, you know, it's something I'll never let go. Right. 
Oh man, that's awesome. That's all he hunted with his entire life. Uh, someday I'm going to have to meet you and see that. <laughs> so, um, how old are you, uh, if you don't mind me asking? I'm 26. Awesome. So I'm super See, young when it comes to all of this. A lot of my friends right. are at least 50 years older than me. <laughs> 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 to give you an idea of the age of muzzleloaders. Do you shoot competition muzzleloader? I do. I grew up shooting competition muzzleloader. My parents met at the NMLRA national matches. My father and his family were competitive pistol shooters, and my mother and her family were competitive bench rest and like, cross sticks buffalo shooters. So I grew up shooting both of those about until college, which is just a few years ago, really. Um, and I kind of got out of it, and now I'm getting back into it. It's, it's So being the spokesman, man... That that is you're kind of uh, that's cool that you're at the age that you are, because you know how to you know how to get a hold of the people that are looking into this stuff. Um, traditional bow hunting has a resurgent of younger people coming into it as well. Absolutely, and and then so you're at you're able to put the media out there and all that, but yet you have a deep um, experience. I mean, you're you got more experience in muzzle loading than you know, a ton of people. Well, than me for sure. And, you know, I'm in, I'm close to 50 now. So <laughs> it's cool to see that there's somebody that's in that world speaking. And, uh, yeah, we need, we need to kind of get that word out because I think there's a lot of guys, um, your age to my age, right. That um, absolutely really would love to get into muzzle loading. I mean, um, it, it just goes along with, with the traditional bow hunting. It's the same kind of thing. I was just telling my wife today because of, you know, all the crud that we're going through with the, with the virus and things like that, that, um, if we just got powder and lead, um, You're good to I go. would be feeling good. pretty good and self-sufficient about being able to feed my family yeah. with just powders and yeah. powder and lead. I don't have to have a reloader or anything like that. Just powder and lead. And even I'll even take one step away and make it even easier for you. If you have a smooth bore muzzle loader that it's a flintlock. You're good to go as long as you've got some gravel nearby. Oh, yeah. That, see, that even takes it even further. I didn't even think that route. Yeah. I better get a smooth bore. That's what it sounds like. You know, you've got to get a smooth bore, and then, you know, you can start getting into some nice revolvers or pistols. But if you get if you have a nice rifle and a nice smooth bore, you're good to go. Oh, yeah. Yeah, even gravel. I didn't even think about that because, boy, you can do a number on squirrels. Oh, yeah. Man, I'll eat squirrel all day long, and uh, especially if I'm hungry, right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's kind of one of the old campfire stories I remember hanging out at the shoots was, you know, when you get a group of people together, you, you start talking and it gets about midnight and you start talking about the end of the world or whatever. And the one guy always talked about that is he always if he goes a long distance away from home, he always has a flintlock smoothbore in his car because he always figures he has ammunition. Oh, that's awesome. So. so <laughs> Uh, anywhere you go. I mean, you can use seeds, I guess. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, so with your smooth bores, uh, okay, forgive my ignorance here. No, this no. is going to sound really no. bad. But uh, with a smooth board, do they make those in a pistol? Oh, yeah. Petter Soli is actually coming out with their flintlock howda pistol, which I think it's out now probably. We saw it at the SHOT Show, but it's a double barrel smooth bore flintlock pistol. Oh, got to have it. You, yeah, you should you should really look one up. We've we've got a short video about it on our YouTube. You should check out from the Shot Show because it was just neat. Oh, right on. Yeah, they have it in percussion, I believe, and then they have it in a modern. I believe it's it's a double four ten. 
I think, but I'm not, I'm not certain on that. And then they're just coming out with the Flintlock version of it this year. It is sweet. Wow. Wow. Yeah. That would be something that would be, it's not only, it's not only something cool, but it has very practical use. Could you imagine the, just knowing that I have that in the back and then have some powder? Yeah. Man, I'm good. (laughs) You feel invincible. Well, I I feel like I can at least feed myself. Yeah. Yeah, I feel that way with my trad stuff too, my trad bows and things like that. But, uh, at the same time, this is just another one of those tools that you could put into, to what you do as, as a Bushman, as a, as a, uh, dare I say new frontiersman or, or mountain man or something like that. But, um, pretty cool stuff, man. I, I just really enjoy that. That's good. That's what we like to hear. I think a lot of what we see as an association is there's a lot of people out there, like you said, between my age and your age and going to work every day and, you know, being answering work emails on your phone and getting texts and calls all the time is really draining. But when you can go out in the woods with your longbow or your muzzleloader, or even, you know, with just a pack and just go in and sit in the woods for a couple hours, that's a kind of peace that you cannot pay for or get any way else. And that's what I, that's what I'm big on is trying to support that is I don't care if you're not into muzzleloading or into especially the competition side of things I mean that's when you're into competitive muzzleloading you're kind of a a special breed in compared to into a lot of other things that's a super niche hobby to get into but if you want to get out and get outside and just go sit in the woods for a couple hours like that's what everybody needs to do I think (laughs) at a base level we all need to go sit in the woods for a while yeah, and there's there's really, and even beyond, you know, I do that as well. I, I live out in the woods, so it's pretty easy for me. I just walk out my back door, yeah. and I got miles of yeah. woods. But um, it, it hunting also is is like another extension of that in in our world, um, because you know when you when you start providing for yourself and you see where your food comes from. Um, that also is is pulling you away from that world of everything around you that's pulling at you. It yeah. actually makes you yeah. start to understand how how thankful you could be that you you know that you can get a hamburger, you know, and how thankful you could be in these things. And that's that's one of the big reasons. It's one of the main reasons I hunt is to understand where my food comes from, and I want my kids and people around me to understand where our food comes from, and at the same time. Um, be that connected to nature uh, or connected to something that is not my phone. Yeah. <laughs> if that makes yeah. sense. I Absolutely. don't know if that makes sense, but, yeah. but that, that's one of the big reasons. And, and then, you know, I took up traditional bow hunting when I was a kid, when I was about 16 years old Nice, and nice. it, it did that, you know, we, my friends and I built tree stands and shot jackrabbits out of tree stands <laughs> behind our house. <laughs> and, 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 uh, and jackrabbits probably not the best eating rabbit, but you know, if we're going to shoot them, we ate them. Yeah. So we, yeah. we, we did eat a lot of tough jackrabbit legs all over the barbecue, but, <laughs> um, but at the same time, there was something, there was an attachment there that, um, this stuff brings, I mean, just shooting a muzzleloader brings you to, to that attachment. You know, it's, it's like my son came up and shot with me the other day and he's, he was saying, man, dad, you're, you're more of a part of this thing or it's a part of you or something because, 
you know, the minute you shoot it, then you start getting black on your hand from, from the blowback and from the, and then you got to go clean it out. And this stuff is not, it's not just like put a cartridge in and go for it, you know, which right. I don't mind right. either. Oh, but, no, uh, not at all. But uh, it's, it's just, there's, I don't know, something a little bit more organic about pouring powder down a barrel, <laughs> you know? And so we, uh, we, we've been doing a lot of that and I'm actually going to hunt spring bear with it this year. Oh, nice. Yeah. I'm going to hunt spring bears. We have a, a spring bear tag here in Oregon and we have actually a overpopulation of bears. So I feel like, and last year I hunted with my traditional bow. If you ever want to go check it out, it's on our YouTube channel. Okay, cool. But I'll check that we out. Got that, yeah. We got that bear within, Oh, 50 yards, but that's outside of the range of a traditional bow. <sighs> that's outside of my range of wanting to get close to a bear. <laughs> oh, I get close to them a lot around here. Um, but, the the thing is, is there's so many of them, and and I sit and I've griped on podcast even about how many bears there are in Oregon and what they're doing to our population and this and that. And then ODFW gives you an opportunity to shoot three a year because they're trying to manage that, right? Wow. And here I am with my traditional bow, and I had opportunity on three bears last year, and I couldn't get it done because I couldn't get quite close enough to to release an arrow, right? Ethically for right. me. Yeah. Um, some people can shoot it like that, but for me, I have to get closer. And, and so I thought, well, man, um, it started getting the juices flowing. You know, I could still have that one shot. So I have that, that challenge of that one shot, but I can extend my range a little bit. And, uh, and the muzzleloader started coming into mind. And so when I started this, that was what I was going after. And I just found out so much more. I mean, I just scratched the surface. Yeah. That's really exciting. I, I love hearing about people getting into muzzleloaders because I think everybody comes in at a different avenue, I guess is the only way to describe it. Everybody takes a different road in. Yeah. So so that moved me over. And then I went to, I think it was your web or your, your guys's uh, YouTube channel. And then I looked at some of the subscriptions that you guys have and I found Townsend on oh, yeah. YouTube. Oh, yeah. So that moved me into looking at uh, following some of their stuff as far as, you know, like the long, the long hunters and those kind of things with the muzzle loaders. And mm -hmm. they call them long hunters because of the long guns is pretty much what I gather. Well, it's, it's actually also tied into the length of time at which they would go out hunting. So traditionally it was called a long hunt and they would be out for a year or two at a time. Okay. See, that was wrong there too. But <laughs> so, so, but what that's done is now I'm looking at the living history that that channel brings. Yeah. And yeah. so this is what muzzle loading has done for me is, is brought me into, and I'm just scratching the surface. Well, like with long hunter, you know, that scratched the surface. I thought, well, they're using those old long rifles. So that must be why they've been called that, but right on. It's really exciting. We, we talked to um, Daniel Howell of the Folkcraft Revival podcast um, a couple episodes now. And it was interesting talking to him because for me in Indiana, the long hunters are very much a part of our history. And in talking with him, I really, it kind of shook it into me that as you go farther west, and it's something I never really thought about before, but the long hunters kind of disappear as we start settling the West. I mean, you're into the fur trappers and the fur traders then and kind of the rendezvous of the late 1800s. And I didn't realize how much that had changed. Yeah. You know, you, that, that was the one thing is I was hoping that there was out there something that 
hit the 19th century like what they did with the 18th century with Townsend, right? Right. They're hitting right, right around that eight, the end of the 18th century, and and because coming out here, you know, Jedediah Smith and Kit Carson and and those guys are people that we talk about a lot. And where I grew up, I grew up around the Klamath tribe and the Modocs and the Modoc War, which was quite a bit later than muzzleloaders, but yeah. it yeah. led up to that. And um, so all that history, that living, I was hoping that there was a living history channel in the, in, in the 19th century. I think that would be very interesting hmm. uh, to see. It would be. I don't know of any off the top of my mind. Yeah. Yeah. And that's when kind of when the Hawken rifle came into the world was that 1840-ish. Exactly. Once you get into the percussion era there. Yeah. They did. Yeah. They did a couple of full stock flint guns. The Hawken family did, but they were super early and it, it wasn't at all the impact of their half stock uh, percussion rifles were. Yeah. Yeah. And that, I mean, the half cock or the half stock, <laughs> excuse me, the half stock percussion rifle um, is kind of what everybody thinks about now when they think muzzleloader, at least on this end of the world. Definitely. And, and the funny thing is, is there were so many more things leading up to that, that, that I, I had no clue. I had no clue until I started getting into this. <laughs> there's, there's so much early human tinkering with it. I mean, I think a lot of people think civil war, in regards to muzzleloaders. Right. And and that's something that kind of frustrates me is earlier America, I think, is much more interesting because you have the the weirdness of the flintlocks and then you're that much closer then to the wheel locks and the match locks of early Europe. But then when you get into the Civil War, that's when you hit that industrial era. So you don't have the almost county specific differences of the different kinds of, of rifles that came out of the Eastern U S and what, so everything changes once we cross the Mississippi there. And I think it's super interesting, but it's a lot different. Yeah. Yeah. And, and to follow that, it has been for me, it's, it's kind of really eye opening. That's, that's why I really enjoy what you guys do is because, um, you have all this there, <laughs> you know, um, all the content that you guys are putting out and all of the, um, stuff that's on your website is, is really eye opening to, it was to me. Well, thank you. I'm, I'm glad that it's working <laughs> because a lot of the people that I'm working with and talking to about this stuff have been involved with it for 50 years or more. And so I'm, and even myself, I'm personally biased because I grew up with it. So I'm not sh sure sometimes how close I'm getting to things that are accessible to somebody who doesn't understand anything about it. So I appreciate hearing that. I, I, I don't want you to feel like you need to stroke my ego on it, but it, it is exciting to hear that it's getting out there and it's getting to the people that need it and it's opening up doors. So much of this community, I think, for a long time has felt really closed off because it's, it's taken us a while to embrace the Internet. And Townsend's is really a leading force in that. I mean, they just grossed a million subscribers on YouTube. And a million people out there aren't necessarily dressing up in their kit and going out and camping that weekend. But they're making it accessible for people that just want to see somebody cook something and they're dressed funny while they're doing it. Right, right, and and doing it like the old school ways, and and going back to maybe some of the simpler things. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. You know, I saw that in in traditional bow hunting as well. Um, 
we started putting out a podcast. It was it was when podcasts first started coming out in the traditional bow hunting world. There were a couple already out, um, and and then we kind of got lazy with it. We kind of got lax on it, and it's a lot of work coming forward now. There's a lot of people that were kind of like, I don't know about that kind of stuff. But now that is, you know, that's moved traditional bow hunting. It's helped out a lot in traditional bow hunting. And and then, of course, you got organizations like PBS that that um, get behind it. And then you have Compton's now that's behind it. You know, they're behind all this stuff. And uh, traditional bow hunter magazine that, that is behind, you know. So the, this is, and they're all for one purpose is to get this stuff out there in front of people. Because it's important, we can't lose it, you yeah. know. And yeah, and I see you guys doing that too. And I, I, I think it's, I, I think you're on that that edge there, you know, when you first started, where people are going to start coming and looking at this and going, "Wow, there's a lot going on here that I never knew anything about." Yeah, and that's kind of where I'm at with it. Is it's I've I've grown up in it, and I've I've said that before here, but there's a lot of information here just in our magazine. We've been publishing a monthly magazine for the better part each month since the late 1930s, 1938, 1939. So there's just stacks of information that even uh, contemporary members haven't read or even heard of. And because we have those and we have them digitized now, I'm able to go back through and share that stuff and say, hey, you know, I just found an article on, uh, it was just six simple ways to tune up your flintlock. And to me, it just caught it, caught my eye is like, you know, that sounds like a modern article headline. You know, it's kind of catchy, six simple steps, but it was written in the, in the 80s, you know, and I, I read through it and the, the mechanics of it are all the same thing that you can use today. Right, right. And so yeah, cool. it makes my job easy because I love what I'm doing. And there's decades of information that nobody's seen. Right, right. Uh, and you got the content there. You just got to get it out. Yeah. <laughs> so where do you get all the pictures? That's what I've got to ask. Because, man, there are some there is some cool stuff that you put on your Instagram. So part of that is I'm going out to events and filming and photographing as much as I can. Now, with the COVID-19 thing, it's really put a damper on that process. So a couple of weeks ago, I was out at the 2020 Horn Fair with the Honorable Company of Horners. And that was just two days of powder horns, powder flasks, and horn goods, for lack of a better, and accouterments. Um, and so in a non virus outbreak situation, I'm going out a couple times a month to a big show with hundreds of tables of people's work that is that are displaying their craft. That's their way of continuing this tradition. And then the, the other part of it is we have a pretty large Facebook group where I'm always working on encouraging people to share photos of what they're doing. And our membership is very dedicated to seeing all of this continue forward. So we're a 501c3 nonprofit. And while we host these large national matches, the core of what we do is education, be that traditional craft, muzzle loading, traditional archery, or the living history side of things, and pushing that forward. So our membership will do just about anything that 
they can do to help push this forward. And so I can't about probably half the Instagram posts and things that I'm putting out in the videos, especially I couldn't do those without their support of what I'm doing. Um, we posted a couple of videos this week with a couple of different muzzleloader builders that come to our national events and set up and display their work. And they know things that I, I will never know about building a muzzleloader. I've got some stuff in the shop right now that I'm going to be putting some things together on a couple videos just because people want to see muzzleloaders being put together. And I have the equipment and things to do it. So I'm going to be moving forward with that initiative. But Watching me build something, you know, as a novice, as a very young person in this pales in comparison to these guys that have been building muzzleloaders for 30 or 40 years. And I could not share that without their support and their dedication to seeing this move forward. Yeah, I put that kit together and then I thought, oh, this is cool. I'm going to show people how to put a kit together, which I did. And, and yeah. it turned out really well. It's cool. Oh, yeah, it was great. But at the oh, same yeah, time. But at the same time, when I started researching, I'm like, oh, my goodness. <laughs> There's guys out there building their own barrels. Yeah. <laughs> and and just the craftsmanship. I mean, mine turned out really nice, and I love it. And I, it's great. And I think that's a great way to get into it. Go get a kit, build one. Absolutely. Everybody, I think, that's interested in muzzleloading should invest in a kit or the parts to build their own. Yep. Yep. Because there's something you especially, you know, you could save, well, I built this. And another thing is, you know, it now, you know, a lot of parts of that, of that rifle and, or gun. And, um, it just, the thing is, is, but when I was doing the research and, and thinking, wow, look at, I'm a really good craftsman here. And then I start doing the research and I just was blown away. My goodness. There are some craftsmen out there. Oh yeah. That's a whole nother area of muzzle loading. Oh, just the powder horns. Like you said, like you're, I, I never realized, I yeah. never realized yeah. how amazing some of these guys are. It's, it, and then we, so one of the reasons I want to bring you on the podcast and one of the reasons I want to do this on a traditional bow hunting podcast is because a lot of that goes, you know, boyers hand down all, a lot of their craft to apprentices and, and you know, we ooh and all over bows because it's, it's really cool muzzle loading the same way and i wanted to you know kind of get that out there that hey look guys there is a bunch of craftsmanship and and people that just dedicated as you are to your with your bows you got to check this out it's cool yeah it's a it's i think it's a very natural extension and it weirdly kind of works with human history Uh, i made my own longbow at the age of 12 and and carved it out and it's made out of hickory and i still have it and still shoot it today but nice you kind of, for me personally, it was fun starting with a longbow. And then as I got older and things got a little more complicated, I started to step into the muzzleloading and muzzleloading building. So my first muzzleloader that I put together was an old CVA Derringer kit, like a little gambling gun. They're simple to put together, but like you say, at the end of it, it's that extension of the intimacy of the tradition. Traditional, traditional sportsman, sportsman community, I guess, community, is, I for guess. lack of yeah. a better word. On it. Yeah. Well, cool. So, where can they find out all this stuff? Um, I usually try to keep these around thirty minutes. So. Oh yeah. Sorry, I don't want to run you over. <laughs> um, 
I could talk about this stuff all day. I got to put a time limit on myself or else we'll be here for hours. I, I understand. So where can they find, where can they find you guys' stuff and what you're doing? Um, I, I know you got a lot of avenues. Yeah. yeah. Well, the, the kind of hub for everything is the National Muzzleloading Rifle Association. And that's a, a big mouthful. So we usually go by NMLRA. <clears throat> Excuse me. And our website is nmlra.org. And there you can find our podcast, our video, our social media. On Facebook, we're NMLRA. On Instagram, we go by the name of our magazine, Muzzle Blasts. And um, that should, if if I'm doing my job, that should get you interested and kind of get you in our system. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's It's got me completely interested. Uh, although I haven't sent my money in to be a member yet, but I'm going to. I just haven't got around to it. I, I live up in the woods, so sometimes getting a check in the mail is a little bit harder. But. Hey, that's okay. Well, I appreciate that. A lot of what we do, I mean, it is dependent on the membership, but a lot of what I'm trying to do in getting things out there is to show everybody that this stuff is out there, whether you become a member or not, I want you to be interested and everybody at the association wants you to be interested in this, to go out and do it, get your hands dirty and have some fun. And it shows, it shows in the stuff that you're putting out. Well, thank you very much, Nate. Thanks for coming on, man. We're going to have to do this again. Okay. Hey, I'd love to, this was great. Yeah. We'll get you back on here and, and maybe go into some specific rifles or things like that, that have some history behind them and talk on those terms. But I, I just wanted to get people introduced to what's going on over at the muzzle loading side of the world. And, you know, some of the bow hunters, some of the traditional guys aren't going to listen to this podcast. They're going to just go now. So, and, and that's good if they, you know, no problem in that. But I know so many traditional guys that are going to be, you know, maybe I should start looking a little bit more into the, into the muzzle loading world. Um, and, and they're going to, it's going to be something for them. So that's why I got you on. I sure appreciate it. Um, any any last things you'd like to say? I think just kind of the, the standard in the muzzleloading world is just uh, keep your powder dry. There you go. All right. Thanks a bunch. Thanks, Nate, for having us on the show. We'll have links down to Nate's flint, or we'll have links down in the description below to Nate's video series where he's building his muzzleloader. So it's neat. You can see him go along the process that he kind of talks about in the episode. We'll also have links to his website, podcast, and Instagram as well. I know several I know several of our listeners are active on Instagram, so be sure to check out Nate Bailey's Instagram. Just another update, as we're recording this, we've had to postpone many of our events held in April this year um, due to COVID-19. So if you're listening to this now as the episode comes out or sometime in April here, I encourage you to check out nmlra.org slash COVID-19. We'll have a link in the show notes, but that's going to be your place to get up-to-date information about how COVID-19 is affecting the National Muzzleloading Rifle Association. Thanks again for listening, everybody. Really appreciate it. Again, if you want to show some support for the show, you can use the promo code PODCAST10 at nmlra.org and get 10% off merchandise, books, a membership, anything there that that promo code just lets us know that you're listening to the show and that you enjoy what we're doing. So I appreciate it. Um, we'd really appreciate it if you would rate us on iTunes as well. iTunes and Apple are a big part of our audience and any rating that we get there helps us kind of move up the ladder. Right now, I know that we're one of the 
only muzzleloading and living history podcasts out there. It's not necessarily a flooded market, as you can imagine, but any support there really helps us out a lot. Next week, we'll have another episode out for the history buffs out there. We're talking with author John Reese about his book that was published last fall. It is called They Were Good Soldiers and focuses on the African-American troops and militiamen in the Continental Army during the American Revolution. It's a really interesting conversation. It's a bit of a long episode. We go just over an hour, I think, um, but it's a good one. John's a really interesting guy, and I'm looking forward to you guys hearing it. As always, thanks for listening, and we'll catch you next time.